If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. Welcome to the 10th episode of And Security for All. I am Kim Hakem, your host. I'm also the CEO of FutureCon Events. We produce cybersecurity events all over North America. We are currently hosting, of course, all of our events virtually throughout the country. And we are planning and keeping our fingers crossed that we're going to go back into person um, the third and fourth quarter with a hybrid of live and virtual. So we hope to see you all out there. FutureCon is an event series for for the cybersecurity community to stay updated, trained, educated on the ongoing changes and challenges of the cyber world. Um, Our speaker series brings high-level industry chief security officers, and they are our featured speakers at our events. To learn more about FutureCon events, and I have a CISO podcast series, and I also, of course, have this show. So for any past episode, you can go to our website at futureconevents.com and subscribe to our mailing list. You can also follow this show on any of your favorite podcast platforms, such as iTunes, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Facebook, Twitter, Google, wherever you like to listen to your shows. So I'm super excited about my guests on the show today. For those of you who have been following the show, welcome back to this show. And for our first-time listeners, welcome to And Security for All. The last couple of episodes, we have been focusing much on the human element of cybersecurity. From everyday phishing attacks, social engineering. Last week, I had George Finney. He's the CISO at SMU at Dallas, and we discussed his book, Well Aware, Master the Nine Cyber Security Habits to Protect Your Future. So this week, my guest is a big fan also about talking about the human element and the mental health element of human beings. Uh, We're going to talk about self-care, self-awareness, which really helps us overcome impossible goals, especially for people inventing new technologies. Managing mental health at Companies dramatically decreases the occurrence of insider threat. We're going to talk about the mental health aspect of cybersecurity. But before we get into that, I want to talk about my guest. I want to spend the first half of the show talking about him. He's a fascinating person. He's had a fascinating career. And he is a great role model for any young person trying to make their way into the cybersecurity world. Today, my guest is Nate O'Reilly also known as NATO as Code. NATO has a huge following on his YouTube channel. For anyone interested in breaking into cybersecurity, he I highly suggest you go follow his YouTube page. He has a whole series, a five-part, five-part series on how to start a cybersecurity career and where to begin. Last night, I began to listen to some of his podcasts on his history and his career and the journey of his engineering. NATO has done really all kinds of things from 
being an entrepreneur, owning, you know, different businesses. He's worked for huge companies like Logarithm. He's a content creator on YouTube, and now he's currently an integration engineer for Blumera. Nato is just a really cool guy. He is a, as I said, an entrepreneur, engineer, a code worker. He works in DevSecOps, so I'm excited to have him on the show. So welcome to the show, Nato. Happy to be here. Thanks for bringing me on. Yeah, so I'd love to like to spend a little time talking about you because you've done so much at such a young age in your life. I don't exactly know how old you are, but I can kind of figure it out by watching, you know, the history. But um, can you just tell us a little bit more about you? And I'd love to know how was your YouTube channel going and how did you get started with that and how much effort and energy do you spend on that? Totally. So, uh, you know, a lot of my background comes from really just being very much so a hobbyist. Uh, And as a kid, I always just really liked things like technology. I liked video games. I'd be the person who'd be more likely to take a broken Game Boy and try to fix it and make it work. And so then as the years went by, I'd worked at Logarithm and I always liked watching YouTube and (laughs) especially I'd be sitting and watching channels like I guess the biggest YouTuber is PewDiePie and I'd want check out all the other YouTubers. And I was like, it would be pretty cool to, to do that and go and, and it's one of those awkward, intimidating things too, where you're like, well, is, is anyone, whatever, when did anyone ever even want to watch me? Cause that's a question that we might all ask ourselves for those who are thinking about maybe being YouTubers and things like that. And when I first started making YouTube videos, my first YouTube video, uh, I actually was kind of making to kind of try to practice my public speaking skills because I had started this business called Data Design, which later became Notion Point. And I was like, well, I got to practice public speaking. And I, I kind of always wanted to start a YouTube channel. So I'll just, I'll just start with that. Uh, and so I would make videos that were really for the people who I was working with. And I remember the first YouTube video I made got really bad like reviews and, and really bad <laughs> engagement. But isn't that good that people were at least listening? Well, that's the thing that happened was at first I was like, well, I'm never going to touch YouTube again. And then I I thought about it. And then interestingly enough, that one video that got the worst feedback was the one that just started getting all this attention. And it was because of my worst video that then got me all these viewers. And then I started, I was like, well, maybe I should make videos that maybe will get better feedback. So I started making videos that, uh, you know, I, I, I read a book from Seth Godin called This is Marketing. Very good book if anyone's ever uh, gotten into wanting to figure out how to get noticed out there, Uh, Mm because the book is called You Can't Be Seen Until You Learn How to See. And I I swear to this day that if you want to be seen, that book will work on YouTube, too. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. Yeah. So, I, you know, I read that book and that was when I started my Where to Begin series uh, and really got on board with like, how can I create cultural change with my YouTube channel? And so it went from making a, a video that got really bad feedback and made me feel bad about myself to turning into <laughs> me realizing that that's not such a bad thing. It, you know, it's, it's, it's okay if you make something and as long as you do it, that's all that matters. And that's what I learned about YouTube is you just do it, just make a video, go put yourself out there. And, and it's, I don't know. It's one of the probably the most life impacting thing for me and and how it's changed my life. (laughs) Well, you know, I still have some, a 16 year old at home and she doesn't watch TV. She watches YouTube. That's it. So that definitely is the way of the world. Um, So good for you. So did you start that prior to logarithm or was 
this something in the past few years? So it was after I had left Logarithm. And so when I left Logarithm, I was in the process of figuring out, you know, should I start, what kind of company should I start? And I, I had some resources and some stuff and I had been working with some different people. And, you know, <laughs> I, I really was in an in-between time where I didn't really know what my business was supposed to be. I couldn't find a good market. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to make YouTube videos. And then YouTube ended up kind of becoming my business in a way. Uh, and then as my YouTube grew, then I started getting more attention and other things. And, uh, but the thing that just kind of always tethered the growth of, uh, so this is after logarithm, uh, all of my growth ended up going back to YouTube, no matter what I've done, uh, ever since I started the YouTube channel. So everything just kind of goes back to YouTube, but yeah, I was after logarithm. And so it was a good, and good so times. you were with logarithm, what, like three and a half years. I think I saw is that about yeah. right. So I liked your, I was listening to your, um, I usually research my guests the night before, so everything's fresh in my head. And I was listening. You have a, a video out there that just talks about your career path. And I loved, um, I've worked logarithms than a client of mine forever. So I'm very familiar with lots of people that work over there. But it wasn't really technical. It didn't sound like it was a technical reason you went to logarithm. So share with us what was your motivation of where you were at prior to logarithm on what path, you know, you were trying to decide which path to go down and why you chose logarithm. So that's a, that's a very good question because at the time I had been working at really my second technology based job and I was trying to figure out, you know, what I wanted to do with my life in terms of, you know, do I like working in technology? And a part of me even wanted to get out of technology because I had uh, gotten hired at this company building cloud from like ground up with this company. So I'd been going in data centers and helping them set up the servers and, you know, going into a data center is kind of like walking on another planet if you've never been in one, because like you have these drafts coming up in the floors and stuff. And so like, this is the world that I'm used to uh, coming from. And you know, I had actually gone out and started another company, that, which I don't usually talk about very much called like Artisan Information Research. And it's funny because I had built out this whole little architecture design that now I actually built years later. Uh, but I went out, I had this customer and I was talking to this person and Logarithm like calls me on the phone and they're like, hey, someone said that we should hire you. And I was like, well, okay, so uh, I guess I'll talk to you. So I, I just listened to them and was trying to hear them out. And they told me that, you know, that I could travel and do all these other things. And I was like, Oh, I could travel. And like that, that caught my attention. <laughs> I love that. I, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, and it, it kind of opened this big door for me where, which the door was even bigger in my head than I think. Uh, and, and in a way it, it ended up being as big as I think I thought it would be in my head. Cause it led to where I am today where I was like, oh, not only can I travel, but I can create things that help people everywhere, like around the world, like people on the other side of the globe. And I, I was so into that idea that not only did I end up traveling with Logarithm, but then I ended up going and helping like expand out to a new region and then uh, building solutions for like other countries like Australia and, and Dubai and like other regions and and really getting into the like building global technologies. And so that, that was something I really always wanted to get into. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about some of these technologies you've built. I know when you go to your um, LinkedIn profile, 
it's for someone like me that is not as technical, you know, I had to really dig to understand a lot of what you were doing. Although, you know, we all hear the word DevSecOps then, you know, tell us a little bit about that and some of the things that you have created and um, we'll get into where you're working now, but I'd like to just kind of hear, you know, you've made some pretty huge impacts on, you know, the community. So let us hear what you have done. Sure. So I guess one of the core technologies that I tend to always find myself building with, because I, you know, I'm even an integrations engineer for Blue Mirror right now building this technology, which is there's something called security information and event management, which it goes back to security. And it's one of those things that's really confusing at, at a high level because, you know, what is that? What's security information? What's event management? Because it's something that for the most part, most people never really ever have any reason to know what this is unless you're doing it professionally. And so really, it's this whole idea that at a company, you have all of these risks that might threaten a company, even beyond just like hackers. When we talk cybersecurity, usually in the media, like oh, hackers and stuff like that. So I create this technology, which uh, I kind of look at it in some ways as like at a, in a company's network, it's like the eye of Sauron. If anyone's ever seen like Lord of the Rings, where there's like something that can see all the threats or, well, in the case of the eye of Sauron, it's looking to like, it's the bad thing. But in, in the case of this, it's, it's looking for all the bad things where you have this ever looking eye that monitors an entire company where, you know, it doesn't matter what, country an office is in or or where someone is it's like how can we protect everyone at the entire company and you know make sure that people working from home aren't you know running into like cyber threats or something along those lines so really i create technologies that help people not have to worry about the security of, of their environment because if you do security right then it becomes part of a company's culture and it becomes part of like people's day-to-day where they they can just go to work and then they know that they're secure. They don't necessarily know how, but if we have a good culture, then people, you know, have, have conversations about it. And so I guess one of the things that I drive is, is like conversations. Like, why do we have security in the first place? It's like, why do we have, why, why does the great wall of China exist? Because once upon a time, like, and even today we have walls. Now maybe we have firewalls, but we've always had walls. You can look, all throughout history, we've always had walls and we've always had this concept of security. And so then the question is like, how do we manage these things or how do we structure these things? And what what do modern walls look like? And how do we create like modern perimeters? Because in, in a lot of ways, the technology I create is, is like creating a, a perimeter security, but in a virtual land instead of on an actual physical territory because you could go to a property and and build like gates and fences. And so I kind of do that in a virtual sense, uh, really, and then set up like monitoring things. So, and that does extend into physical security because uh, some of the things that I even do on my own time is like I create home security technologies, which there's some uh, stuff I've been working on for some time. It was like, well, how, how can you make sure that your home is secure? You can watch your home security to make sure that there's nothing odd going on at your home, like from your cell phone uh, without ever having to, you know, run home and find out if there's something or, or worry, you can just have things let you know if something odd's going on at home. And, and so those are the kinds of technologies that I tend to create. <laughs> so some of those technologies, though, 
do put many of us at risk, not yours, not the one, I'm not saying yours that create, but, you know, we're all, you know, everyone's running out and buying all these, you know, now you even have this chewy, you know, it's a dog channel, but you can buy all these security cameras there and you got ring. And so they're, you know, we've all heard the stories and it goes back to how, you know, we're going to, I don't want to get too far off of what we're going to talk about, but it again goes back to, you know, how is the human element again interfering, you know, especially with the people that are working from home, are they interfering with what you created because they decide to do something off of their network at home, which might be some of the network you're trying to secure? And that's a really good question because one of the, one of my like goals and jobs is to make it to where a lot of the things that you're talking about um, like we can actually use technology to get around some of that where what if someone is a person who works from home and maybe they do have, you know, whatever's going on in their home network. Cause you know, you have family at home, you go and you have your entertainment systems at home and things that have nothing to do with business cause it's home. And nowadays between things like technologies like VPN and things like that, we have ways to isolate, uh, users. And so what I do is like, I help people understand, like, what are some ways to where we can kind of simplify security? And e- since there are so many new scattered things, you know, we have like cameras all over the place these days, we have networking things all over the place these these days. So uh, really, I guess, what helps with that is, there are ways to isolate that where companies can use things like VPNs, uh, and other sorts of solutions. So for those who've worked at a company where you've worked remotely, um, you know, there, there are now these little ways to kind of make it to where you don't have to worry about. And, you know, it's interesting because there, there are some companies who will be like, well, we don't necessarily need that thing. But then you're opening your entire company to this risk of what is at everyone's home. What's, you know, what's going to happen when you have, a kid go to school and then they come back and maybe it's not even a kid in your home. It's a kid in your coworker's home somewhere and they come back from school and something on their cell phones infected with something. It gets into that home network the minute they reconnect to Wi-Fi, and now your whole company is like at, at risk. Uh, and so, you know, I guess there's like a, a lot pandemic of- we're in right now, right? Because <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. the same concept, you know, you know, it's true. Kind of infecting the whole chain of who you're connected with. So when we, so you're really involved in a lot of DevSecOps and this show is called And Security for All. So we do have some listeners that may not know exactly what that means. Can you, in layman's term for us, you know, the non-technical people tell us what that means and what is your DevSecOps dojo that so I that's- find? Yep. Very good question. So DevSecOps is something that <laughs> it's sort of a newer thing. In the past, there's been a lot of talk of something called DevOps and people outside of the development space wouldn't know what DevOps or DevSecOps is generally. And DevSecOps is actually a philosophy. And I guess you could consider it a development philosophy around the whole idea that, you know, if you're going to develop something you might as well develop it with security in mind. And that's what DevSecOps has to do with. And then DevSecOps in particular is, especially for technologies, like, you know, if you're looking at social media, like LinkedIn or Facebook, uh, any of those, like, I guess apps or something that runs 24 seven is what's called a continuous technology. So if you're on Facebook, 
generally speaking, if Facebook goes down, there's always going to be a lot of talk like, oh, Facebook went down. Or if Google goes down, people will be like, oh, Google went down. And so DevSecOps is the idea that for the people who develop these things like Facebook and all that stuff, that uh, as you're developing, that security is a part of that. So that, you know, if, if the development process includes security, then that means that users don't have to worry so much about their security as much when we get to the point to where users are using something or, you know, that other developers uh, or I guess, you know, other people in the company don't necessarily have to worry about the security stuff as much necessarily because the, the applications were built with security in mind from the get-go. Uh, and so that's what I focus on where it's like, how can I have the greatest impact on society? For Cybersecurity is one of those things that a lot of people, it's so technical or so confusing that it's just too much for your, your standard person. Because it's like, if, if, if you're doing something that has nothing to do with technology, cybersecurity, trying to learn that is just another thing that you have to learn. And maybe you do have a degree in law and maybe you're working these crazy, long, complicated days doing these really hard things that have nothing to do with technology. When do you have time to figure out all this stuff about security? The idea here is that we all have a way to help each other in society. And DevSecOps says that like we who have the skills or the interest or the capacity to develop things, we can make it easier for people to worry on the other side of, of you know, technology on who are using things to worry less and less and less about things that could be going wrong or what might be going wrong. And so uh, as a result, I decided to start a DevSecOps dojo because one of the things I ran into uh, in the development space is there's a lot of talk about, you know, you can learn the, the technical like Kung Fu all day long. You can Google like how to make the most complicated XYZ, how to make this other more complicated XYZ. Well, DevSecOps says that humans are involved too, and it's not just technology. And so uh, the DevSecOps dojo is all about how do we include the human element into the things that we're developing? Because if you're, if you're creating anything that has security in it, that means that you have to understand people. That means that you have to understand what people do, what people need. So I teach those things like, you know, how do people operate on uh, the internet? And so <laughs> how do people operate in real life in general? Because if you're physical security is a part of cybersecurity nowadays. If you, if you go to a, a company, even, you know, when we get back to going to offices and things like that, like a scanner card, there, there's a machine that has to scan it. And there's a machine that has to monitor that scanner card. And then, there, you know, there's like cameras and things and automated doors. So in this day and age, we just really need to be in a mind space as developers, especially that not everyone has time to, to get deep into these technical weeds. So it's like, why don't we find the few who care the most and, make a greater impact on society by saying everyone doesn't have to, you know, maybe, maybe people should care about at least doing things that keep them safe and main, and protect, protect your privacy, you know, protect your own privacy, things like that. But for the few who care the most about the machine part, why don't we make it so that others can not worry about that part so much and, and reduce the panic in some of those areas by help each other. So well, idea. and that will be a good segue and we're getting pretty close to having to go to a break, but you know, when I reached out to you and I said, what should we talk about? And you were like, well, let's talk about mental health and self-care, self-awareness. And, you know, 2020 was such a big focus in the whole everywhere people were talking about, you know, people are working too hard, too long. You know, I, we've, I've had so many shows that the panel sessions are, you know, the human element and how you just take a break from it all. 
So we only have a few minutes, but how have you handled, your hands are in so many different things. How have you handled the separation of work and not working too much? So that's, that's a very good question. I would say that there's a large degree of my research that has swayed how I manage my mental health. Uh, just because I, I do have a lot of training on, you know, mental health and then helping others maintain their general, like, mental well-being. And when you're working in cybersecurity, being like, we have to make sure that everyone's doing well at this company, then at some point you stop. Well, not everyone stops and thinks about this, maybe. I don't know. But I, I stopped when I was like, well, what about my mental health? <laughs> <laughs> you know, <I'm> like <laughs> talking about making sure that these people are safe and making sure that everyone else is, is okay. And I'm like, am I okay? Uh, so for me, um, you know, I, I, I spend a lot of time reading about like, what are things that are going to help us manage ourselves, manage our bodies. And one of the things that I've come to a realization and conclusion on uh, is just that it, you kind of have to make mental health an effort, like a daily effort. Cause you have to do things like you have to make yourself stop working if you're getting sucked into something and you have to. So I make it a, a daily effort and I, I try to come up with things that are going to help me get away. And one of the things that, especially nowadays with everyone going remote is work-life balance is a concept that was discussed and talked about in the concept of like a nine to five and an, an age where offices were kind of the standard because they're kind of the only option too. Uh, because if we go back to like 1970, 1980, people don't work online. But now, you know, mental health, it's its like a life balance is, is something that matters versus just work-life balance. So how do you establish life balance? So that's the new thing that I've been focusing on is what is life balance and how can I have that? Well, and that's, you know, being a, a CEO of my company, it's really important. Um, we work really hard. We have, a, we do tons of events and we are never lacking, you know, more work to do. So my employees, you know, they take off on Friday and they're back, you know, on Monday. And I want them to do that because they're only going to be, they, they can't, they're not going to be able to do their job as great as they do it if they don't have that time off. Now, I work all the time, but I do try to take some breaks because I think I was telling you in an email, you know, I was going to get away and go skiing for a few days. So you just have to do things like that. So we're going to um, take a quick break here and then we're going to come back and let's talk about some of the cultures and, you know, cybersecurity. There's it's so in-depth of what, you know, coders are doing and what engineers are doing. So let's continue on. We'll take a quick break and then we will be back with uh NATO Riley. So we'll see everyone back in a few minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host Seamless Podcast, started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Are you a cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? 
FutureCon events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at futureconhq. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to And Security for All with Kim Hickam. To reach the show today with your questions or comments for Kim or her guest, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to khakem at futureconevents.com. Now back to And Security for All. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to And Security for All. I am your host, Kim Hakem. Um, Today, I have NATO Riley and he is he has a YouTube channel that you should all follow and he is known as on his YouTube channel as NATO as code so please go watch his channel there's all kinds of great information especially if you're an engineer out there or a coder or a developer anyone that's super techy you definitely want to go check out his show and anyone that is interested in trying to figure out what to do in the cybersecurity world, I highly suggest that you follow him on his YouTube channel. So welcome back, NATO. We were talking about, um, we're just talking about the mental health aspect of cybersecurity. And can you tell me, like, um, what are some of the things that you've experienced that you think that we should be changing when it comes to mental health? And especially now that everyone has gone back home and there's so many people working from home, you know, that it, it's just a hard thing to manage because where do you stop? Cause you're not, you're not leaving at five o'clock anymore. You know, those dedicated employees weren't probably leaving at five o'clock anyway, but now, you know, you're at home and it's easier to just keep working all the time. So what, what would some of your advice be of, where people go and how you, how you, you know, retain good employees and not burn them out. And, you know, that even gives me like a strong reminder. Cause I think about my own family is like, I remember getting a text from my sister, at like, I don't know, 11 o'clock at night. I was like, I've been working 16 hours today and I have more to do and I'll do it again tomorrow. And I'm just like, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, it just reminds me as well, like, okay, so even I have to think about like, how long am I working? And, you know, why and what's the benefit of that? And I think it goes back to some of what I was talking about earlier of this whole idea of like work life balance versus life balance. It's like, well, when we now are working at home, and we don't have this separation where it's like, we can actually leave work, the idea of leave leaving work it could just be, you know, what if you work in your bedroom, then you're, you're not really leaving anything necessarily other than maybe like closing your computer or something along those lines. And so I, I think with an online world where people are able to work from home, I, I think it's important to 
think about what does your entire day look like? And, you know, I would even go so far as to recommend saying that, you know, on work days, maybe it's okay to go take that extra walk that because chances are, if you think that you're going to work an eight hour work day and you work from home, the minute you kind of get sucked into something that's going to oftentimes multiply, but you know, maybe try to take a walk in the middle of the day, or maybe one of the things that I try to do is I try to start my days slowly because if I start my day too quickly, then I'll just get straight into working and then that'll pretty much be the only thing that I do for the day. <laughs> well, I have, um, for years and I continue to do it. And I was lucky enough during COVID to be able to still work out with my trainer. And I just every morning at eight o'clock AM, I work out with him. That's the way I start my day. And I am a true believer in just getting, you know, getting those endorphins moving and, you know, just getting your juices flowing. Because if you just wake up and you go straight to work, I mean, at least before when people were getting in their cars, they could listen to the radio, you know, they they could get some coffee. Now you're just getting out of bed. And some people, and I'm one of them, wake up and my computer is right next to me and I just open it up, you know. So I, I imagine there's a lot of people doing that. So what, what kind of, do you know any statistics of like what the burnout, like has, been, has there been a higher burnout rate in 2020? Yeah, I would say for the most part, like n- not just burnout too, though, because the unemployment rate is, uh, has gone up uh, globally mm-hmm. in general. Uh, and, you know, it's not surprising why. And so then for those who do work at home and, and do have jobs, uh, especially with people just, if you've never really worked at home before, burnout is almost like a guaranteed thing. Like if you talk to someone and they're like, oh, I, I just got an online job and they've never worked online before. Uh, if you spend enough time at folks, you'll just find that first online job, people usually burn themselves out. And then some, some never really figure out how to get a groove out, out of that. And then some companies also don't really structure their work in a way that helps their employees recover. And, you know, the, it, it has skyrocketed. <laughs> Burnout is becoming one of those things that's kind of just become unexpected. And it is really hard to figure out, like, how do you also you know, because you can't just tell your employees to stop working or tell them to limit their how, how much they work. Because oftentimes, one of the number one contributors to burnout is when someone has something that they're trying to accomplish, and then they feel like they, you know, aren't didn't get as much done as they wanted to. And then that those emotions stack. In a lot of ways, burnout comes from a stack up of like negative emotions and how you're feeling about your day. So if you don't, if you're not satisfied with your work, and then let's say that you keep getting projects after projects and they're stacking, instead of trying to cram all these projects on one person, or maybe if you're the person who's stacking a whole bunch of projects on yourself, it, it, it there should be a new discussion where it says, okay, so if things aren't getting done and it's to the point where people have to work more than you really need to be working anyways to accomplish things then obviously the, things are going to fail as a result of a system that's clearly not working. So maybe identify that a system's not working and take a step back instead of just trying to work more and power through everything. And like, well, okay, let's maybe come up with most, most things don't actually need to get done for a business to move forward. And so in the context of burnout, it's important to understand even as a manager, like what are the priorities? And for self-managers, like 
what are the priorities? And especially if you're not working on like your own stuff, if you're working on your own uh, projects and your own company, there's a lot more reward that can come back to make you feel good about the work you're doing. But for those who like don't necessarily get that, because especially like I work with developers and developers, uh, they make things and then they don't see the other side of their work. They just see that they work into this black hole and most people, they don't know what a developer does. And then most developers don't know what anyone outside of their bubbles doing. And so then they just sit there and they just feel like they're coding all day long. And for those of you who are computer type of people, uh, you know, it can help for management to help developers understand the positive impacts of what they're doing And even just telling your staff, thank you, will help stave off burnout because a lot of burnout comes from just people getting like down on themselves and getting a little depressed and feeling like, oh, I should have gotten this thing done. And, oh, I missed this deadline. And, uh, you know, and for any of you who sit there and think to yourselves like, oh, sometimes I'm too hard on myself. Think about your staff, too, because whatever moment that you have where you're like brutalizing yourself everyone you work with is very likely doing the same thing. And it's something that we just do as people is especially us high, high achiever types who work in the sciences and work with technology kind of have this, like a lot of them you could consider folks maybe a little hell bent where they'll work themselves into a wall or into the ground. And so for folks who don't get positive feedback from their work, I think it's just very important, even if, you know, sometimes times call for, an excess of work and that that's never fun. And that sometimes is what it is, but letting people know that they're appreciated, letting people know that their work has done something or that it's going somewhere or that they matter. It's odd, but the little things like that will make a tremendous difference in at least keeping the team moving forward uh, and then trying to find ways to find what maybe isn't a priority and, and toss it. So stuff like that. Yeah. And it, it makes me think of my own staff because, you know, we, you know, I have the person that has the science background and she is the one building all these virtual platforms that we're doing because we're doing so many events. And she's a perfectionist because that's, that's, that's her great attribute. So, you know, some, you know, so kudos to her for how hard she, my whole team, how hard they work. But it's hard because, you know, it's in this virtual world. Again, we're all at home. And we try to have, you know, a couple, two, uh, probably two meetings a week on Zoom and, you know, just so we can see each other. And hopefully soon, you know, we'll all be back to being able to go to a happy hour or do something where I can reward my team. It's hard to, it's just hard to know what are the, you know, I say thanks and probably not enough, but what are the rewards to, especially someone that's just sitting there, you know, knowing that, oh my gosh, this is going to be a really hard work week. What are some of the things to, you know, help the work culture? What would you suggest? Like what would help you as a, uh, when you were in that kind of space besides the thank you? That's a really good question. Cause uh, I used to, it's kind of funny. I used to work uh, on a, a team called the sunshine committee on a, as a side thing with one of my engineering companies in the past (laughs) that I worked with and what we would do to kind of help folks like make it through some of the really tough weeks is try to come up with things for everyone to look forward to. And so, you know, 
at the time is like, we'd have like 11 people on a team and then three of us would sit down and be like, okay, so I know everyone's just like working their faces into the ground and you know, that's never exciting. We're all burnt out. I'm burnt out. Everyone else on the team's burnt out. And so we were like, okay, well, how about we come up with something? And so we, we come up with events and things that everyone's excited about. So we would take little polls across and be like, Hey, what do you guys think of these? Let's take some polls. And then people would be like, I want to do that one. And then people started getting really into these. We started doing just like monthly events. And then when we had a, like, if, if the team is really ha- having a struggling time, then maybe we would do a slightly bigger event if we could. Uh, but it, it is a little harder now. Cause it's like, even then a lot of the events that we were doing, it's like bringing everyone together uh, in person, mm-hmm. which is a little complicated right now. And, and I, ideally I think soon that sort of a thing will improve uh, with, with the, things changing and improving. So, but that's something that makes a difference is coming up with like, okay, so what's something to look forward to? And that's a little tougher of a, of something to answer in, in this time because of circumstances uh, with everyone being isolated and whatnot. But, you know, coming up with, and, and maybe that's a discussion is like, what would everyone look forward to? Cause that's another thing I've run into is if you try to assume what people are into, then you'll always get like the, the person who's kind of upset and sometimes it'll turn into someone who ends up quitting down the road, who it's like, well, I wanted to do this other thing and no one else wanted to do what I wanted to do. And then you get, you know, you know, you want to try to figure out how to not make people feel left out. And that's a complicated one too, because people who feel left out, oftentimes we'll default to, well, don't worry about me or, well, that's okay. Let uh, everyone else get theirs first. And, and, and those personalities are common in the tech sphere too. And for like developers and uh, that, that's the sort of thing that, that I think can really hang on, on, a, on a person's mind for, for those who aren't necessarily comfortable expressing their own self-interest. And, and that's a little more complicated because you know, you can't necessarily make someone else more confident uh, in, in their thoughts or their opinions, but trying to see if you can even like really make those folks count. Maybe those ones you can even be like, well, how about we bring you into the decision-making process? And they'll be like, oh, I'm included in the decision-making. And, and that'll be such a surprising thing for them. You know, like little things like that where they're like, oh, I could help decide. And then even if everyone decides to not do something that that individual who tends to not be social wants to do, at least that individual feels like, I'm contributing to, to doing something big for the team. And I think that's something that can be done for those who are less. So I'm the less social type. I'm the type who will, it's really hard to get me to show up to social events. And I used to get really depressed over it before I really understood that I really need to find ways to connect with the team. I'm, I'm naturally very antisocial. Uh, that I think it's really hard to believe after <laughs> watching your YouTube channel. It's hard to believe. I, Cause I saw something you were, um, it, it looked like, Someplace like Hawaii. Was it Hawaii? Yeah. I saw that. I was like, oh, I was very jealous. That was a couple months ago. I think I saw something when I, when I first went Blue Mara, kind of connected me with you. So you, totally. you seem pretty social. Now, let, you know, when you're doing your channel and you're sitting there typing, is that kind of just your gig that you do while you're talking? I, you know, I guess. At this point, it's kind of become a little bit of a brand for me. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. I yeah, whiteboard, yeah, and uh, people people always been like, "Oh, I like your, I like it when you whiteboard." And so, you know, I've had people request me to come whiteboard uh, on their show or whatever and things like that. I'm like, "Okay, that sounds good." What do you want me to whiteboard? <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to talk to Blue Mirror Marketing because they do a lot of our shows because. 
that is just something different. You know, there's so much virtual right now. And again, you know, with my business, because we put on cybersecurity events and we have at least three a month, we have to keep them, you know, people have to come to these events. They don't have to come, but they come because they want the educational credits. Plus, you know, we bring really great content. But it's also, you know, some people keep providing, you know, the same content. And then again, the attendees will get burnt out on that. So it's the same, you know, how do we keep information out there from people not getting burnt out on it? So I love what you're doing because I feel like you kind of freshen up the, you know, sometimes quote unquote boring cyber techie world. So I love um, what you were doing on there. But what what would be some strategies that a company, that a team, if you were leading a team and you were thinking, okay, we we have this big project coming up, you know, and we know it's going to take a couple of months, how can I prevent burnout? So, because, yeah, you can think about that before starting a project. Uh, And, you know, it, it, it really depends on who's involved. And then I think communication is, is critical when it comes to trying to figure out how to launch a very ambitious project without burning everyone into the ground. Um, because I've, I've worked on so many projects. I've worked on projects that, uh, you know, failed before they started because it was so ambitious that before we even got anywhere, people are just like, this, is, this looks impossible, even though it's not. And then I've worked on even more ambitious projects where everyone made it to the end, um, you know. And so I think in a lot of ways, <laughs> and this, I, you know, I'll give a shout out to James Carter, who I worked for uh, at Logarithm, uh, because at times, you know, depending on if you have, uh, some companies might have investors trying to give pressure on, on everyone and be like, okay, so you need to complete these things. But if, if you have investors giving you pressure, you need to talk to the investors and let them know that like they're going to damage their own investment and investors don't want to damage their own investment. Oftentimes they'll try to push or recommend something out of like some hope or desire to, you know, get better results. But sometimes that can turn into them hurting their own portfolio uh, and so companies who are more privately funded, it's a lot easier to kind of control, I guess, depending on how much cash flow you have, like how fast you move. But really, I'd say just like slow your projects down. And there's this, you mentioned perfectionism earlier. Perfectionism runs strong in, in technical types and, and in a lot of ambitious types in general. And I think putting perfectionism aside and saying, what, does our minimum viable product really need to be for whatever project we're about to launch and really try to make it as minimal as possible and have uh, really like, like I would say launch your project in, in tiny increments uh, and in the smallest increments you could possibly launch them in. Uh, for example, uh, I, I launched, well, we're launching a huge I guess, platform with my wife's company called, uh, called the Cloud Underground. <laughs> and that's where the DevSecOps Dojo is associated with. And it's such a big, ambitious project. In order for us to not burn out, what we do is we just say less is more always. And we, we even just started selling the beginnings of our product as just trainings. We just sold the first principles of how our product's built. So like, how about I sell you the information for how our products built? And then you can use that and go make products of your own. So we did that. And then people went out and made own products of their own. Then we also get market validation. And then we get to like recover while people are validating our model 
with something that we just gave other people. So then we collect that data and, and we get breaks out of that where then we're like, okay, let's release the next volley of that. And then we started finally getting to where we completed hardware. So then we're like, okay, well, let's release our first hardware release, uh, which, um, yeah, we, we make little supercomputers, um, <laughs> which is a really kind of random thing. Uh, but it, I guess it's not that random though, because if you know what you're trying to accomplish long-term and you plan it out over years, it's really not that hard to prevent burnout if you just kind of focus on slow and steady and focus on the steady. You, you, business needs very few things. It needs cash flow and, it, and, and like people and, and customers more or less. So as long as people can work with customers and you get people together, bring people together and then give them something that they're willing to pay for and then let the journey validate whatever you're doing. And then it'll even make your long-term project even better because you'll get all this feedback from this community you're creating by just teaching people while you're trying to build this product. So I like, I don't know. I, I like to just say slow down because uh, things don't slow down or get a lot more funding to hire a lot more people. Those are the, the two paths that I say to, to operate efficiently and not have burnout and make money at the same time. Cause you can make money while avoiding burnout. It's possible. So tell us a little bit about Bloom Era and what you, what, who Bloom Era is and what you're currently doing for them and how involved you are and how big that company is. So Blue Mirror is pretty cool, which is <laughs> where they got my attention. And uh, I was looking at trying to find an engineering team to work with. And uh, the thing that got me about Blue Mira is they're all about trying to democratize cybersecurity and take things that, you know, I've worked on, on technology that typically the only people who can afford this stuff are, you know, like, companies who've made at least a million dollars. I mean, I've made uh, ecosystem implementations where it's like it was $5 million just for the sale. And, you know, most folks just can't afford that. It just makes no sense for your standard company to even think that that makes any sense. So Blue Mira, on the other hand, they're like, well, why don't we make this type of technology available to everyone? And that's the type of thing that I am into is like, oh, well, I like to help make things more available for everyone because, you know, I, I try to make education for these things more available, tools more available. And then all of a sudden, Blue Mirror is trying to make these really crazy technologies more available. I'm like, okay. So Blue Mirror creates a security information and event management platform. And, uh, you know, they make something that's affordable for small to mid-sized businesses to be able to have security benefits, especially in this new climate. Uh, you know, whether you're working with cloud technologies or whether you're working with your, you know, server that's living in your office, because that's, you know, even we have servers in our offices. So, and that's the thing that people do, but it needs security. And so if you don't want to spend $100,000 to be secure, Blue Mirror makes it possible to not spend. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think that's really neat. Um, so what I'm doing is I'm an integration engineer. So I work on implementing uh, new features and making it so that uh, Blue Mirror works with more technologies and uh, can reach more people effectively through uh, making it uh, have more features that are appropriate for more people. So that's more or less and, what I do over there. And how big is, how many people are at Blue Mirror? How big is that company? I think they're around they were uh, uh, like 33 and now I think they're approaching 40. So not mm -hmm. a very big company. So we're just getting started and they've been around. Well, that's for, probably fun. I would, I would imagine that's fun for you. 
And um, I kind of see NATO as code as when he's in his 40s, retired in Hawaii, because um, <laughs> you seem like a pretty smart guy that's going to be one of these people I'm jealous of that ends up starting a company that gets bought out. And, you know, is that kind of your goal is to be one of those, um, you know, start up one of your own companies like a Blumera and then have the bigger companies buy you and you go off to Hawaii and, and check your mental health. <laughs> Probably. So I'll just help people forever and just run, run you. You'll find me on YouTube in code. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so you're full time at Blumera though. And, but you're still dabbling in all these other things, um, your YouTube channel. And so are you part of your wife's company? I am. So, um, NATO is code is, I guess, because a lot of my hobby is kind of businessy. Uh, my number one hobby is seeing if things are possible, especially in technology. So, uh, <laughs> while I'm at Blue Mirror, I build technology for them. And then my, on my own time, I create a uh, little, like I create supercomputing technologies that I uh, run and that's all under NATO as code. So I build my own software platform that I uh, create, open source cloud tools for learning how to build cloud. Uh, and then the cloud underground, my wife's company, uh, that company is focused on making it accessible for people to be able to build cloud more affordably and more efficiently. Uh, maybe not efficiently, depends on what you're trying to accomplish, I guess, but significantly more affordably uh, where you have your own stuff. So I do that on the side. I, I guess that's, I just, I just, code things all the time i <laughs> if i'm not doing blue mirror stuff i'm probably building my platform and then i'm probably helping my wife with her business <laughs> wow sounds like a pretty super technical family you have there i imagine if i do you guys have kids yet not yet <laughs> okay i'm sure you get, you're gonna have a some very 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 smart children so <laughs> My guest today is Nate O'Reilly. He is um, also known as NATO is Code. You can follow him on his YouTube channel. He is a great role model for any young person that's just getting out of school, how to find your path in the cybersecurity industry. Go check him out on his YouTube channel. And what would you be your, we've, we're down to a about 30 seconds, what would be your message that you'd just want to give any young person trying to make their way in the cybersecurity world? My number one recommendation is no matter where you're trying to go in life, no matter what you're trying to accomplish, do the things that you find most interest in because that'll help you find your passions and, and tr just try as many things as you can because I would say that it's your actions that lead you to wherever you're supposed to be. Uh, and, you know, don't get down on yourself and don't compare yourself to others because as long as you're doing something and, and coming up with like, what do you want to do next? Okay, so you've done this thing. Now, what are you going to do next? You're always going to end up somewhere good as long as you're doing something. So just keep doing things. Excellent advice. Thank you, Nate O'Reilly, also known as NATO is Code. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of And Security for All. We'll see you next week with another great um, innovator, another great uh, security leader in the cybersecurity world. Thanks, everyone. Have a great weekend. Be safe, be well, and see you next week.
You are listening to And Security for All with Kim Hickam. To reach the show today with your questions or comments for Kim or her guest, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to khakem at futureconevents.com. Now back to And Security for All. 